Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Uh, today's uh, special guest, who I'm, I'm really excited to, to bring on, um, achieved some amazing things in business. Uh, somebody who has uh, won The Apprentice in 2013, since winning The Apprentice, partnered with uh, Lord Sugar, uh, went on to create her first business, uh, which was incredibly successful. It's been one of the most successful businesses uh, that Lord Sugar's invested in then went on to expand that businesses to multiple locations uh, across London, um, which has been really, really successful. I think one of the reasons that I I really wanted to bring this person to Gold Circle is because many, many years ago, I I interviewed her in uh, her establishment in Essex, really felt like she was a great business owner, uh, created some amazing results of her business and grown it significantly. Uh, She's recently had a, uh, a baby that's just one years old, so took a bit of uh, time out of business and been juggling managing a business with motherhood, which I think is great for many people in the room. So we certainly potentially ask some questions around that and uh, really excited to welcome to the stage. If we can give a, a level 20, I wonder if you could stand actually, that'd be nice if we could stand and give a level 20 round of applause to Dr. Leah Totten. So welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Well, I think I was saying to you outside and when we were speaking that we've got a number of, of businesses actually that work in the field that you work in. Mm. And you've, you've achieved some amazing success in that field, which is another one of the reasons that I really wanted to, to bring you here. Many, many years ago, I think maybe 2017, we did an interview in your clinic and, yeah. uh, and got, to, got to know you there, which was awesome and wanted to bring you back for quite some time. So why don't we talk a little bit about your journey, yep. starting out, getting into business, going on that journey of building the business, and tell us kind of where it all started from, perhaps even go back prior to The Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Where were you? Uh, what were you undertaking? What did business look like? And, and how did you get started? So I came from Northern Ireland, as you can probably hear from the accent. I was working, I trained as a doctor in the UK in Norwich, and then I was just working as a doctor in A&E in East London. And I started doing aesthetics on the, basically on the side of work in NHS. It was actually after one of my aunts had a, a very negative outcome from an aesthetic procedure in Northern Ireland. At this time, the industry was completely unregulated. It still is. Um, And when she tried to essentially make a compensation claim for the injury she she had, um, the person wasn't insured. They were a non-medic. And any costs um, in relation to treating the scarring that she had, she had to pay for herself. So I was quite intrigued in how an industry can exist where that can be. There's no regulation, no medical influence at all. So I trained in aesthetics. I started doing bits around the industry. 
I, I was working out of salons at the time. And I then applied for The Apprentice, didn't in a million years think I would even get on because I had no business experience at all. Um, but I got on and then I, I don't know how, but I won. And <laughs> I then, you know, it was sort of a moment where you're like, oh, this is so great that I've won. And then the reality of, oh, my God, I've actually got to create a business and make it successful hit. So, yeah. That Who's had a moment to... like that? Raise your hands if you have, right? Not necessarily on The Apprentice, but I think a lot of the time, yeah. I was actually talking about that earlier, how businesses just come in and, and all of a sudden you realise, what am I going to do? Right? Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Know? And I feel like at that point, there was the, it, I don't know if any of you can remember at the time that I won The Apprentice, it was obviously 10 years ago now, but there was a massive backlash in the press when I won. Um, why was that? I think partly related to me and also the industry. So there was a lot around Alan Sugar investing in a Botox business. Um, you're butchering women, you're pushing on realistic beauty ideals. There was a real lot of negative stigma around cosmetic procedures and it was seen as sort of the Wild West and it was the Wild West at that time that was done fairly badly um, by a lot of non-medical professionals. And also at the time, I was very young, there was a lot of Dr. Barbie um, <laughs> connotations in the Daily Mail around my appearance, etc. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. I think a lot of the stuff, there was a bit of misogyny probably. Um, and how did that feel when you saw those critics coming out? And, uh, and, yeah. and especially if you've not been in business yeah. and you get thrown into the limelight and then the limelight almost turns against you. Yeah, really hard. What moments did you have? I I, I think a lot of it was because the, the transition for me, I really struggled actually. I... And my business partner is a completely different personality to me. And he just, he was actually very supportive. I'll tell you in a bit what he, how he addressed it. But I had come from an NHS environment. I was working as a doctor for a few years at that time. And the NHS is a very nurturing environment. You get a lot of praise. You're very, you know, your, your consultant who you work under as a junior is very supportive. You're not really criticized or ridiculed. And you obviously don't have a public profile. And so to be thrust into the public eye and you've got people on Twitter making really, you know, really shocking stuff. And also other doctors, because aesthetics, anyone who's working in aesthetics or advanced beauty will know it's a very um, competitive industry. There were a lot of people who were working in the industry who were extremely hostile towards me. I remember doing a panel in the early days and being booed off the stage wow. at an aesthetics conference. We won't do that here, will yeah. we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but real, and you're sort of, you can't believe, it's, it's, I find it really difficult. And I remember speaking to Alan Sugar about it. And the Daily Mail, there was a period they went through after I won the show um, where they ran an article every single day and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And there were articles about I was I was with someone who played professional sport at the time. Um, there was lots of stuff about Dr. Wag, Dr. Barbie. They were asked, I mean, I'm still practicing in a &E at that time. Is this woman, they sent people to my work. Is She's not a real doctor. I mean, I'm literally in A&E &E working. Um, it was really bad. And in the end, he he contacted them and said, like, this has to stop or like, I'm going to sue you on behalf of her. I didn't have money at the time to do that, but it was really bad. So it was a really difficult time, but we got through it. And his attitude was just, you know, you got to get a thicker skin. <laughs> and I think <laughs> he's right. You know, he, yeah. he just said, Leah, this is, you know, not everyone is going to be your friend. 
not everyone is going to praise you. You're going to have to take some criticism and, you know, just get on with it. And actually, that sort of tough love, if you like, and that sort of, you know, this is a situation, it is what it is, you know, get on with it. Actually, I think it, it, it was right. You know, I did need to get a, a thicker skin and I don't take everything so personally. But that took me, yeah, quite a while to be okay with negative press and okay with criticism on social media. Um, and then also just dealing with business. So coming from the NHS where, you know, everyone is who they say they are and they're, they're honest. And for the most part, in my experience anyway, I remember when I opened my first clinic, there was a practice next door, a dental practice. And I, the guy befriended me, who was the owner of that company, a, a businessman. I thought he was being helpful. He, you know, we were discussing treatments I was going to offer, prices of things I was going to do. And then as we were about to launch, literally three days before the press launch, which was a national press launch, all media arriving, he rebranded the dental surgery as an aesthetics clinic. (laughs) (laughs) We literally share an entrance and undercut me on every single price. It was... And I can remember ringing Alan Sugar again. It was honestly 72 hours before because Danny, the IT guy, um, who Lee will know if he's in the room, he's been Alan Sugar's IT man for What did you learn from that? I I literally remember just calling him on the phone crying and saying, I can't believe he's done that. And him saying in his, I won't go through the exact language, but (laughs) (laughs) you need to pull yourself together. And I said, I'm I'm hysterical, to be honest, at this point. I can't believe it. I'm so hurt, blah, blah, blah. Um, This isn't going to work. Everyone's going to go to him, go to me. And his, the underlying sentiment of what he said was, you need to forget about him. I don't want to hear about him again. They're not going to go to him. They're going to go to you. You need to believe that they're going to come to you, not him. You're better. They're going to come to us. And they did. And a few years later, he, he, he went back to his original offering, which was dentistry. So it was, again, the right advice, but a hard lesson to learn. And just being mindful of the fact that, you know, be a little bit, I think it's a bit, it was like a baptism of fire, the world of business for me. And just knowing that, yeah, just be a little bit more private about your business stuff and also have confidence in yourself because someone can open offering the exact same thing next door. But if your service offering is is good and it should be, they will come to you and you'll be successful regardless of what the competition does. But I think as a young entrepreneur, it's really hard to have that confidence. And it took yeah. someone more, much more experienced than me to see that potential in me and in the business to instill that confidence in me yeah absolutely i think there's some really good lessons there and that competition is something that a lot of people get hooked on and it takes them a long while actually to drop that mentality but i think really understand that it's not the the lowest price it's the best marketed the best products the the best service the best branded that wins not necessarily the lowest price so absolutely so what happened next? You, you, you've obviously expanded a lot. So yeah, you've got that first, first up and running. Yeah, that was, that was again, hard year, first year, like any business. Um, but we got there. What and were the biggest lessons in that first year? Apart from those ones that you gave, were there some other lessons that you learned? And, and actually, were there some things that, you know, some advice that you, you were given that really helped you? I think you've given a couple of examples of that. But I'd love yeah, to hear more. I think for me, sector expertise came in really handy. Because in that first year, you can't afford 
to, you, I was administering the majority of the treatments and actually that really saved us on cost because even though we'd got the apprentice and I actually take my hat off to anyone who starts a business without the, the, the PR and the launch the apprentice gives you, it's hard even with that. So to do that completely organically without that, I honestly salute anyone who does that because it's bloody difficult even with that. But in that, so when we opened the doors, there wasn't an influx, hundreds of patients dying for me to Botox them. That's not how it went. You've still got to graft. You've still got to go out into offices, pitch to them, go to every networking event, go literally stand outside Pret, leafleting in the rain. These are things that you just ha you have to get people through the door. And what really helped us during that time was being able to keep costs low. And we were able to do that because I had sector expertise. I could perform the service offering. And to be honest, probably for the first nine months, that's what kept us open. And that was with a massive machine behind us in terms of publicity, profile, all of that. So I think that's really important. Very, very difficult. If I had have been having to hire in doctors and pay their salary to do those treatments. Also, I think when it's you, you really, you've better control over, and I'm obsessed as, as well anyone who's probably got a service-based business in yours, particularly if it's medical or beauty related. I'm really obsessed with the level of the service offering. And I think making sure that that is impeccable can be done best by you, unless you've got someone that you can really, really, really trust. But even now I still treat, I still do a lot of treatments, not as much as, as what I did in the first days but really making sure every single client in that first year was having a 10 out of 10 experience. And I would have Botoxed them at 10 at night, 11 at night if they had wanted it, whatever had to be done to get that revenue coming in and then building that relationship, ensuring it was 10 out of 10 so that they're telling their friends, they're telling their cousin, they're talking to Mary in HR from work and she's then coming in, doing everything that, that it yeah, takes. I love what you just said there. I would have Botoxed them at 10, 10 p.m. at night. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason I love that is because, you know, a, a lot of people when they start a business often feel, you know, some people start a business to get more free time, right? <laughs> and it often doesn't quite work out yeah. that way, right? The fact that you, you were willing to do that and bring that work ethic, how important do you think that was in those early days for you? essential it's still essential now and I think as the business grows I do think it gets easier for sure mm. so still to this day my hardest year was the first year yeah. and I don't know if that's the sentiment of the room but that first year wow and the hours that I put in that year I don't know if I've ever had to do them again I mean if someone asked for an appointment at 10 now I would book them with, with someone else but it's you know, that's a, that's a luxury of having a business 10 years. There wouldn't be a business that had lasted 10 years if I wasn't willing to put in that type of work in the first year. And I think that you've low staff numbers with my sister. I flew my sister over from Northern Ireland, gave up a dental career to come over and do it, worked on the desk. So I knew that she was, she was obviously very bought into the business. She worked for lower than the she lived with me, so she had less to pay in terms of overheads, and she worked for less money than what I'd had to pay for a clinic manager in London. Um, I worked for much less in the in the first year, barely took a salary, and we and worked every single hour. Mark, you're everything. You know, you're the marketeer, you're the you're the medical director, you're administering the treatments, you're the cleaner if you have to be. Whatever saved on costs, you have to do. During that period, did you? ever want to quit did you ever feel why am i doing this did you have doubts did you have fears 
how did you overcome them if you did? No, because there was such <laughs> a glare on me because of The Apprentice. But I can't say that I wouldn't have had that if no one had been watching. And that's why I think doing it without the the public, I, I mean, the press report, my figures still now every year, as soon as we're on Companies House, they'll, they'll go to print in the next. And that pressure, in a way, is something that I'm quite responsive to. So I would never have given the Daily Mail the satisfaction of me failing in that business. I would have done whatever it took to keep that business open and make it profitable. And I think that's where my drive, I'm not particularly financially motivated, I never have been. I wouldn't have become a doctor if I was, but that motivated me, that gave me that. And then once you have staff, because I think they're they're reliant on that, on that yeah. I love turning the fear into a motivator, right? Which is what it sounds like you did. That, that fear of the judgment, the fear of it actually being yeah. a motivator to get up and take action. Yeah. And did you use that regularly when you were in the moments that you were struggling? Yeah, I think that. And I also think you, I really actually believed in the in the principle. And I think you've got to, if, you, if you're willing to um, start a business at all, you have to really believe in what you're doing. And I actually felt this is really a business that, that is work. You know, I really believed in the ethos, what we were doing. We were trying to bring in somewhere into the middle market of the aesthetic space. So when we started, there was sort of, plastic surgeons offering Botox dermal filler at ridiculous prices on Harley Street or you'd sort of back straight lay people offering it in salons and tanning shops and I really thought there is there is an oppor genuine opportunity for somewhere in the middle market offering medical grade treatments but at affordable pricing and I thought yeah this is actually something that is needed and will work but even with a great idea and I think that is a great idea I mean it won me that show I think, and it was more the idea than me, I'm sure of that, because I had no business experience. You can't have been all that bowled over with my performance. So I think it was the idea of the business and what that would could be and what that you know could become and has become that really he could see the potential in that and so could I. And I think that kept me going as well. Um, they're probably, the, you have to believe in your business. And I think you have to have a little bit of a fear of failure, be it financial or because it's in the public eye or whatever it is for you that makes you afraid, terrified of failing. Because otherwise, you know, you're, you're leaving the house maybe seven in the morning, you're coming home nine, 10 at night routinely, you're in on a Saturday, you're in on a Sunday. You know, you're, even if you're not in, you're on email, you're dealing with there's a leak, you know, the alert security alarms going on, you know, just stuff that comes with, with business. You've got an unhappy client. I forgot about that when you have the premises. That's yeah. You're the person on call for, for the security alarm. So what am I going to do if there's an intruder? But anyway, there it's a very, um, yeah, I think you have to have that, that hunger for it to succeed, wherever that comes from. You've got to believe in what you're doing. So in terms of the skills that you had to build up to, to scale, because you, you've got the one premises going, you then scaled that out, you've got locations in London, uh, you've had to become a, a multiple business owner to achieve what you've achieved now, because fast forward 10 years, mm -hmm. you've built a really successful business and you've done very well in that space. So your, your initial vision has pretty much come to fruition, right? Mm -hmm. And you obviously there's work ethic in that. But what skills for you as a business owner do you feel that you've had to cultivate? What's been really important for you to, to learn? What challenged you? 
what skills do you think you've had to grow to get there? I think work ethic, honestly, is number one. I really do. I think you can, there are a lot of really skilled, really capable people, but are they willing to take that call at 10 at night? Are they willing to come in on a Saturday morning? Are they willing to respond to DMs on a Sunday afternoon because you've got someone who's inquiring about a treatment that week? Are you willing to make the personal sacrifices that unfortunately come with that? And that I think, the, the one thing I would say that I think I benefited from was my young age, although it was a massive point of criticism um, for me and, and how experienced I was to be performing treatments or to be running a business even. I think also it helped because I was at a phase of my life where, you know, I was really willing to give up everything else. And I really did. I give up everything else to focus on that business until, probably until it got to two sites after a few years, once I knew Essex was turning a profit, my second site, then I was um, much more open to to having capacity in other areas of my life. And I'm not, I mean, obviously, there are different people who are in different phases of their life when they start a business. I now, for example, I've got a partner, I've got a child. You know, could I do that again? <laughs> I'd like to think I could, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, how long my relationship would last, but it's, I think it's, I did benefit from work ethic is one thing, but you have to also make sacrifices and the people around you have to make sacrifices as well. So I think that was something that I, that I was willing to do and that I did do. A great mentor for me was really important. Alan Sugar, honestly, for me, I've been, I've been in business with a man 10 years. He's taught me everything I know about business because I knew, knew obviously very little coming in. So my whole, um, my whole view in business is shaped by him. And he's been really great. And I think when someone can see your potential, it's, it, it makes you believe in yourself because that is something that I struggled with. And especially when you're hearing criticism and you've got competitors that are saying bad things, negative things, and you're seeing in press, but even if it's not on press, I feel like that's something that I really benefited from having that mentor figure who actually said, you're going to make this, we're going to make this, your idea is good, I back you you know, you can do it. And that gives you then that confidence. And then I think over time, as you see success, it, it's very, very easy to be confident when you're successful. It's not so easy when you're starting out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and those lessons from him in terms of mentorship, what were some of the, the le were there lessons you resisted? We're very different. Um, our personalities are very different. He's very direct and he's very confident and he will just say like Leah this is what you've got to do this is and I my approach to things is very different so an example we've just done a skincare line in the last year um so he wanted to do this he told me the night that I won the apprentice before you appear on the show because you really do just find out that day so I'd only just find out it was he called me to tell me and then I'd seen him a few hours later at the the studio um and he said to me we're going to do the clinics and we're going to do a skin. We're going to do a product line as well. He loves anyone who knows him. He loves products. He's always loved um, cosmetic products as a business. I don't know if he loves, he doesn't love them as an individual, but he loves them as a business. So he said to me on that day, and it took me years, I mean, nine years to get around to actually doing that. And his approach to product was very much get something, slap your name on it and they'll, people will buy it. My approach, that's literally his approach. He And he's honest and he's open about that. He said, just put it on, tell them it works. You tell them it works, it's going to work for them. But my 
obviously my approach is more science-based. I wanted to formulate. We literally reformulated the products probably about, honestly, 10 times over the years. I changed pharmacy twice, pharmacist twice, chemist twice to get the range how I wanted. I'm quite perfectionist, whereas he's a lot more commercially minded. So the same thing with scale. So I won't scale. I didn't want to go to the second clinic. I didn't want, I, he, he, truthfully, he's the driving force around the scale and the growth of our business because I like things to be very good and I don't like to I like to have control of everything and I don't like to delegate that much and he has a different approach and I think actually having that balance and, and someone saying just put the product line out is is the right thing but I mean the product line I've spent so much money formulating I don't know how we'll ever make it back but I really <laughs> wanted the it is doing very well but he really wants the he's much more commercial than I am and I think I'm much more standards based I want everything to be perfect but what I've learned through the years in all honesty is that it's never going to be perfect and actually sometimes you just need to step off the ledge you just need to open the site you just need to put the line out you just need to do it and it it is what it is. But I don't know, maybe again, that's a confidence thing. But I think had I have listened to him, we probably would have had 20 clinics by now and 200 <laughs> SKUs of the product. But I don't know. Again, I think that's experience. And that's, you know, it takes you a while to to know that what your mentor is saying is right. Because those of you who have mentors, even mine's on sugar. I mean, I, I should have just said, OK, let's do it. But when you have your own views and you're as an entrepreneur, you, you are inbuilt habits, right? Yeah. So those habits have been installed, instilled and it takes in a you long time. and they've been instilled in you for 20 years. You know, it does take a little while for you to change and, and to overcome that fear to take the action, right? For sure. So and I think that's take action is his, is what he always <laughs> says. And watch your bottom line. He always talks. He's so, I've never seen him use a calculator in 10 years. His mental arithmetic is I mean, mine is pretty good, but his is better. He's very, very quick on numbers. Sharp, sharp, sharp. What's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? What's, what's the bottom line? And trying to get myself into that mentality because I'm not thinking so much about the figures. I'm thinking about... The standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I well, but, but I think it's really good. So I think actually it resonates a lot because of the, the transparency that you're saying. There's actually a lot of people on that similar journey. Can you see that team? Yeah. Because, you know, we're mentoring in some capacity everybody in this room, you know, with the coaches that we have. And sometimes there is resistance. There is things like, you know, I've got to try this and it's against what I've done. But how you change is how you succeed, right? Yeah. You know, and it does. Uh, and the fact that you've had that long term, um, you know, is undoubtedly really helpful. Now you've got three sites. You've mm -hmm. got a skincare range. Mm -hmm. um, you, we were speaking outside about marketing. Um, you've really embraced marketing now to 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 fill those clinics. Um, I've I've personally looked at the marketing that you've done, and you know I've watched you. Being that I interviewed, I think it was 2017 when I first interviewed mm -hmm. you, and actually I've seen how far uh, that business has come mm -hmm. personally, and and you've done really really well. Do you want to mention about the marketing? How, what, has that been a journey for you? Because that's not yeah. what you did, right? You yeah. you you leveraged PR a lot. You yep. leveraged branding a lot. That was mm -hmm. part of it. Now you're in that marketing world, learning those skill sets. What's that been like for you? Did you find it challenging? Yeah, I think um, I don't like to spend that much. I don't know if <laughs> other entrepreneurs feel the same, but marketing to me just always felt so expensive. And I just couldn't get my mind around 
handed over that sort of money. Honestly, I couldn't. Again, was forced to do that by Alan Sugar in the summer. Um, and I just, I don't know. I think marketing that I did in the early days because we just didn't have the budget for it you win 250 when you win the apprentice that's what you get to start the business but you've got to pay a six-month rent deposit in central London you've got to fit the place out as a cosmetic like there's very little change from that it doesn't sound like it yeah (laughs) Um, and then you're trying to get income so you can start paying yourself some sort of living wage um, so we just didn't have a marketing budget. So all of the initial marketing I did, we had PR as well, which we leveraged, as you said. And then I literally went office to office, HR department, to HR department, coffee shop to coffee shop, station to station, leafleting, chatting, giving out free SPF that I'd had to try and get off Heliocare, one of the brands. So ju- I have never really sat down with a marketing provider and said, okay, I'm going to give you four grand a month to do Google ads. That's just something I couldn't get my head around. Um, Because by the time it came that we had enough money to do that in the business, we were doing fine. And I never wanted a lot of scale. I wanted just to fill the one clinic. And once that was full, eventually agreed to do the second. Then once that was full, agreed to do the third. Now the third was full. And then I was, then COVID happened. Um, And then actually the aesthetics industry boomed after COVID. I don't know for every business it was the same, but for ours, we couldn't meet the demand. We literally couldn't. It was insane. We were, honestly, I was Botox and dawn to dusk. It was literally (laughs) so busy. I've never known anything like it. And then that lasted a long time for me. So I wasn't doing any market in that time. And it's only really been, I think, with the economic downturn, that's a reality in the UK at the minute that we've seen since the summer. We we do need to be doing that extra push. Yeah. We've got same volume of clients coming in, but spend is lower. So it's to entice that new clientele in. And just trying to, we, we actually employed a, a marketing director to come in and make those marketing decisions because... Now we can afford a marketing director um, and she's more generous with the budget spend than I am. But I think it's it's something that businesses have to be alive to. The econ- in the economic climate, the last thing you want to do is spend more money as a business. It's me the anyway. thing you very much do, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh... That's hard. I don't know if you find that hard. I find that hard because <laughs> I'm looking thinking... <laughs> I, do, I love I, it. <laughs> yeah, I no, love it. Yeah. I, do, I, I think, oh, God, I want to spend more. But you're right. It is. And Alan Sugar says the same thing as you. Like, if we need 50 new clients a month, this is what it's going to cost to acquire 50 exactly. new clients. you got to pay it. And that is, the, that is the reality. And I am on board with that. But that was a journey for me. It really was. And even Who now, else has found that to be a journey? <laughs> hard Mine. hard yeah. but it does work and we have much you know you get the new clients in and it's that fresh wave yeah. of of revenue to your business because a lot my business a lot of repeat custom and when you're because we're not doing we weren't doing active marketing for such a long time so you when you repeat custom the amount that spend per head decreases you have to bring in Hire new new custom essentially, and you have to spend to do that. They're not just going to show up. So, especially at the minute, though, I think I just think the disposable income for everyone is lower, and the cost of I think it's costing more to market now than it would have cost three, four, five years ago, which is make even harder to get your head around. But something that we've had to do, and it has worked for our business. And it's interesting. You said the spend per head, which is uh, you know a great number to to actually be looking at average invoice value um what other numbers do you do you now analyze yourself that you've uh, 
that I wouldn't have done before. Um, the <laughs> I think for me, the most we, we always look at room occupancy, but actually, what we find only and only really honestly only in 2023 because I haven't traded through a recession before. I we were post recession. I didn't open until 2000 until 2014, 2014. So we were sort of out of the the 09 crash, and for us, this is the first time we've really traded through an economic downturn. Obviously, we were closed for COVID, but actually, we were so busy after COVID that it it was sort of it it worked out more than what we would have even made in a normal year when you balanced over the two years for my industry anyway. So and actually, in the 09 recession, the recession that followed the 09. Um, crash we the aesthetics industry was recession proof we know we know that from the data the revenue data from that industry so even in the lead up to this there was a lot of talk about economic downturn I wasn't really particularly thinking about it people will always need Botox women will always spend on appearance my clientele is 96% female that's not the case this time around we saw by into third quarter the end of second quarter that actually while our room occupancy which is the what we normally go by in terms of um how how well we're trading and it's pretty it's pretty other than a big boom post COVID, it's pretty static and once you get each clinic to maximum occupancy you'll normally open another so we're due to open a fourth at the minute it normally takes two years two and a half years in aesthetics to get to that point i find anyway um we we're looking room occupancy is looking good we're, we're looking good there's no problem and then you're looking at revenue, your turnover per month, and you're down, you know, a good chunk. Then you're looking at profitability each month because Alan Sugar's obsessed with bottom line, and your cost for everything has has went through the roof. So your revenue's down, your costs are up, so your profits way down, but your room occupancy is looking better than ever. And then you start look diving a little deeper, and that's when you find that even though you're seeing the same amount of people, they're spending much less, and that's just a reflection on their own level of disposable income. So that's when we realise this level of room occupancy, we can't increase price because there isn't enough demand to do so at the minute because people don't have disposable income. So we have to look at bringing in new revenue. We've got to push the room occupancy up 5% across all sites to end up with the same bottom line as we would have done this time last year. And that, that's a great conversation around the numbers there, right, in terms of how you should analyse the numbers and how you should diagnose uh, the problems that, that are occurring with the business. And it's always about diving deeper. You know, I absolutely love that. enjoyed that. So, yeah, look, and what's, what's next? Uh, and look, you've had a, had a baby yeah, last year? Yeah, I've had a baby. She's one. She's great. Um, I How's that affected the business? And how do you feel? What was that like for you? Again, I think, weirdly, our revenue didn't dip, which... I was quite shocked. Our turnover was the same. Um, our profitability was a bit lower because we had to pay a medical director to come in, one of our doctors, to to perform the treatments that I was in. So profit was down, but ever so slightly. And, excuse me, revenue remained the same, which obviously to my board, Alan Sugar is great because he's thinking, so it's not about you. We can definitely scale to 20. <laughs> um, but the, and he, again, he's probably right about that at this point. I think we probably think you could. needed to see that? Yeah, I think I did, actually. And also, there's a weird thing that I probably have to be honest with myself about, because that's obviously what you want as an entrepreneur, is you want a business that is scalable without you. It's not built around you. But there's a little bit of ego maybe involved as well, where when we had the board meeting after I'd come back, I was off for five months with Lila. And I, when I came back, I almost felt a little bit, oh, okay, so you've all been fine. <laughs> you're all making money. You're all doing well. 
And maybe there's an element of you feel you're so centric to the business and it's it's almost a bit your ego is built around being so pinnacle to this business. Maybe this is just me, my ego is. And I almost felt a little bit like, oh, okay, not that important to the business. So whilst it was what I was aspiring towards as a business owner, right from the start, I wanted to scale the brand. Um, but I've never really been able to get myself to do it. And maybe a part of that is is linked to me not wanting to relinquish control or you know, I think as an entrepreneur, a lot of your identity is tied up in your business. For me anyway, and mine is called my name, which which plays into that further. Um, so yeah, it was really, it was a mix of emotions. Um, but I think being back at work, I'm doing a four-day week now. And it's been, it's been really interesting. I think your perspective changes. And anyone who's got kids in the room will probably um, agree. I feel like I don't think it's made my work ethic any any different. I still feel I'm as motivated as ever. I feel like I'm doing it more for her now. Um, whereas before, I think I was doing it out of belief in the business and fear of failure, essentially. But now I feel you almost you almost want the success even more because you want her her to see you achieve that. And you also want to build legacy and to build a stable financial future for her. So, yeah, I actually think it's probably made me more motivated becoming a mum. Affected you in a positive way, mm. yeah, for sure. No, which is which is awesome. So what's next? Are you going to 20 clinics? <laughs> I think we're supposed to open one. We're supposed to open one 2024. I, <laughs> I yes, we probably will do more <laughs> um, at my pace, which will be what every two and a half years. I think we'll do one more. Building costs are very high at the minute. Um, but I've looked at some sites recently. So I think we'll do one more. We'll scale the product line further. Um, and that seems to be doing really well there. That's a very different business for me. So product, I'm service based, obviously, is my core offering. Um, and that but that has I'm quite enjoying that as a new business for me. And that's very easy, actually, versus service based. It's it's mainly e-commerce. We sell the products in clinic, but they're mainly online as well. Um, so I'm quite enjoying that. So we'll scale that. And I think the, the golden number for me now is five clinics. And I've got my head around that. Um, so I think that's where we're going to aim to get to in the coming years. Brilliant stuff. It's uh, a little bit amazing, everybody, yeah? Mm. Should you give a big, big round of applause? Uh, we... Hey, everybody. Adam here. And I hope you loved today's episode. hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favour. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favourite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.